Amen. Amen. Thank you, Julia, for those prayers, and good morning, church. It's great to be with you today, whether you are in person or online. It's good to be able to worship God together as a community. We are in the second week of our Heaven and Hell and Everything in Between series. And like I said last week, I've never led a sermon series with the word hell in it. But um, we are going to unpack over the next six weeks each part of the biblical story. Last week, we started with this you know, concept, and I'll get to that in a moment. And today, we're going to start about new creation. And if you're wanting to go into more detail into these topics, we do have discussion questions for each sermon um, that we have made available to the Life Group leaders. But if you want those as well, contact uh, Pastor Brenda, and she will get those to you. So we invite you to dig into that. Now, this quote um, is one that I've encountered a while back, and it's one that has been helpful for me from Eugene Peterson, the author of The Message. It takes the whole Bible to read any part of the Bible. And the idea that he's getting at here is we have to understand the arc of the Bible. We need to understand the biblical story. So as we read individual verses or individual books, we know how it fits into the arc. Now, maybe a lot of us have not read the entire Bible, and if we have, we don't understand how that arc works. And so that's part of the idea of this series is to give us this biblical arc so we can understand all the parts within it. Okay, I want to do a quick recap of last week. We looked at these two slides. Eugene has merged them together. But this upper left-hand corner is the message that I grew up with. There's earth, there's judgment, and then you go to heaven and hell. But we don't actually see that in the biblical story. The emphasis is actually heaven and earth, heaven and earth, heaven and earth. 180 times we see this heaven and earth pairing in Scripture because it speaks of the ark, it speaks of the emphasis of where God is working. And that biblical ark starts with creation of heaven and earth. We see this in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, this good creation that God says is good, his good humanity that he calls very good, and he gives them a charge. He gives them a commission. He gives them a mandate to have dominion, to rule, to take care of. It has both kingly and priestly responsibilities to it. It's expanding God's reign to the whole. And then, of course, we talked about the fall and how that began to split this heaven and earth overlap. And this idea that Jesus comes to bring these two back together, God's rescue plan is bringing heaven back to earth. He says in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we looked at Genesis all the way to Revelation, and behold, I am making all things new. Not I am making all new things, all things new. He is taking the ingredients of this earth and redeeming them and restoring them. Now, we're going to get to, you might be looking at this, and you say, well, there is a judgment. Yes, there is a judgment. Is there a heaven and a hell? Yes. And we'll have a whole week uh, just on hell and judgment. Exciting, right? Heaven is where we become more human, right? Hell is where we become less human, less image-bearing God, right? But God doesn't force us into that. But we'll, we'll get to that uh, later. I want to, to continue to dig into this arc, and today we talk about new creation. 
why we're going through this is because it's not just theoretical, it's not just concepts in our head, but it actually impacts how we read scripture and how we live it out. It impacts our relationship with God and relationship with one another. Now, this... um, this, I was reading this book here. There's a bunch of great books here, but Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. And if you want to take a closer look at these resources after the service, do. Um, but do not take the books yet. I still need them um, in the series. And in this Surprised by Hope, this is what N.T. Wright unpacks. He says, what is the ultimate Christian hope? And what would you say if maybe a non-believer says, what is the Christian hope? What might you call out? Say that louder. Live forever, with God. Live forever with God. Yeah. What else? Heaven. All right. All right. Okay. Yeah. So it's good to have an answer for this, right? I grew up with the idea the future Christian hope was just heaven. It's this future existence off there. And then, so if, if and I'm glad that, Only Anita said that, but she knew the punchline to this. (laughs) It's life right now, right? If the hope is only a future hope, then what hope is there for change right now, transformation right now, meeting with God right now? And if we think going to heaven is the ultimate hope, then there's really no hope in this moment, right? It's not all about the future. It's about resurrection, that we can participate in this we can experience transformation now. We can experience rescue now. We can experience heaven on earth now. But if we think of it just in terms of this first diagram, we can't offer the world very much right now or even ourselves right now. There's this coming together that we get to be a part of. And so N.T. Wright says this, the hope of the Bible isn't a salvation to heaven, but to new creation. And that's our main topic for today, to new creation. And maybe that, even that word, you think, how does that fit into the biblical story? I've never thought about new creation as what my hope is in. So we'll unpack that. Um, how many of you have read um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia? There's, there's movies as well. And I enjoyed the books as a kid and the movies um, as an adult. And in this story, there's a whole series of them, but in this one, we hear about this land called Narnia. And in the land of Narnia, the land is under a curse from the White Witch, And it is forever winter, but never Christmas. It is forever cold, but never spring. See, the witch has put a curse on the land. Things were not as they were supposed to be. But there was a prophecy foretold that when Aslan, the lion in the story, the rightful king, returned, the curse would be broken. C.S. Lewis, so this constant winter... And then C.S. Lewis says this, Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrow will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. So if you've read the book or you've seen the movie, you know that when he comes, the curse begins to be weakened. 
it starts to become spring, right? Christmas happens. The weather begins to warm. New life begins to emerge. And it's a wonderful allegory of this arc of from old creation to new creation with Christ's arrival. Our world lies under the curse of evil and sin and chaos and death. It's, it's not how God intended it to be. And so he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to announce that the perpetual winter is over. Spring is at hand. New creation has commenced. He says in Mark 1.15, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. And after declaring the kingdom, Jesus begins to live out the kingdom. He begins doing stuff that reflects God's original intention. He goes around healing people, restoring them, feeding people, ministering with his grace. He begins to show us what this new creation looks like, how this world is supposed to be. The blind receive sight. He manifests his kingdom and breaks the curse everywhere he goes. So new creation has begun, but we know that old creation is still around as well. Julia was praying for the racist-motivated shootings in Buffalo in the U.S. We also read this week of the shooting at the Chinese church in Southern California. We don't have to look far to see that old creation is still around. Wars, oppression. But we can also see new creation around us when we forgive, when we're generous, when we greet others with hospitality, when we reconcile. We see new creation everywhere as well. So this arc of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, I think, helps us to make sense of the world, but it is the biblical story that we encounter. See, the gospel story isn't how do we get all of these people into heaven. The gospel starts in Genesis 1 with creation being good. The gospel starts with God's original plan, and the gospel is to bring those things back together, new creation here everything redeemed, everything restored. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It was probably the first verse, if you grew up in Sunday school, that you learned to memorize. But this word world, I always, especially as a child, didn't think of it as the world, I thought about it as people, right? But this word in Greek is cosmos, and it means just how it sounds. It's everything, everything, humanity, the trees, the earth, the systems, all of it God loves. He sent his son for all of it because he loves all of it, and he wants to redeem and restore all of it, not just me, not just my tribe, not just my political party, not just those I like, not that those just like me, all of it. God loves it all, and he wants to rescue it all. This present world matters. It's not just about the future, but here and now. 
See, Jesus' teaching in the Gospels isn't about how we can leave this earth, but about how we are to live right now. See, Jesus didn't just teach on this kingdom. He went around living out the kingdom, healing people, walking on water, having parties with sinners. He talked about God's kingdom, and he lived it out. Jesus asked, what would this world look like if God were running the show? And then he shows us what it would look like. He told us it would look like a farmer sowing seeds. He told us it would look like a family where the young son went off to wild living but came back and was welcomed and restored. He tells us it'll look like the Sermon on the Mount where it's not just our outward actions that matter but also our heart. See, Jesus wants to transform us inside and out. He invites us into this kingdom living now to bring his kingdom Now, there, there's way too many passages to cover on this, and um, so I struggled to, to decide which passages to go into today. But if you want more reading on this, do um, go to Romans 8.18. I want to just cover a little bit of it right now. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, for the creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Paul is speaking about creation being in frustration, and it waits with eager anticipation to be freed He goes on to tell us what that freedom looks like. That freedom begins, that condemnation of old creation begins with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. See, this old creation we're quite familiar with, gossip, slander, glory-seeking, hypocrisy, power over others, wisdom of the world, strength, shame, condemnation, excluding, taking what others have for yourself rejecting, hiding. These are all old creation dynamics that Jesus comes to undo, to bind, to free us from, new creation. How does Jesus live relinquishing his rights? How does he live out the power that he has in service of others in sacrifice? It's authenticity. It's weakness. It's being slow to speak, quick to listen. It's hospitality forgiveness, it's welcome, grace, and generosity. And we live each day in this mixture of old creation and new creation. Next week, we're going to talk about sin and salvation, and the old has gone, the new has come, and what does that mean? But for today, this old creation to this new creation is God's story. See, and, and we can be tempted to think of these old creation things. If I want to get to new creation, but the temptation is to use old creation dynamics to get to new creation, right? Justifying what we do because it might lead to something better. And this can happen in the church. This can happen in businesses. This can happen in our families. It's not God's way, right? I want all this good stuff from new creation, and how can I push others aside so I can get it, right? 
See, Paul talks about new creation, and he explains to us the significance of Jesus' death and resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 is a great passage to dive deeper into, and I would recommend it to you. But I want to just talk a little bit from 1520. Paul says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul is saying Jesus is that first fruit of new creation. We know new creation is here because Jesus is it. We get to participate in this new creation, and we know that it's coming because Jesus, in fact, is the one who makes it possible. The resurrection is the first bit of new creation that breaks into this world. See, when Jesus arises, he has a new creation body. See, Jesus, God did not give him a new body. He made his body new. He renewed it. Jesus walks around and he can eat food, right? But he can also walk through walls. He still has the scars from the crucifixion. Sometimes he's recognized and sometimes he's not. See, God takes Jesus and he renews him. He's the first of the resurrection that one day we will participate in as well. What God did for Jesus, he was going to do for the whole universe. So the New Testament repeatedly identifies Jesus' resurrection as both the start and pattern for the new creation of all things. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that our resurrection will be just like Jesus's. Jesus will come back and we will be resurrected, and, and Jesus is that first fruit of what that looks like. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about what your resurrected body will look like, right? Maybe you hope it looks better. Maybe you hope it looks different. Uh, I, I don't know what exactly it will look like, but Jesus is the first fruit of that. So when we look to Scripture and it says new heaven and a new earth, again, that's not replacements, heaven and earth. That's a renewed heaven and earth just like we will be renewed. Okay, our key text for today. Jesus will reconcile all things on heaven and earth. So Colossians 1, 15 to 20 says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him and to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Christ is the center of our faith for good reason. Paul tells us in verse 15 that that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus shows us what God is like. God shows us who he's like, and he sends Jesus to do that. He's visible. He's tangible. He makes God known. 
He was the firstborn. Now, we might think of firstborn as there was a time when they didn't exist, like my son Cody is our firstborn. He wasn't, and then he was. But that's not what Paul is saying here. It's more of a title. We see this used in, in Psalm 85 with, with King David. It's a title that he is the first of this kind. He is, it's a metaphor that all created things um, will look to him as supreme, as the first. Verse 16, right? Last week we looked at Genesis at the beginning. That God created the heavens and the earth. And here Paul tells us that all things were created through Jesus. Through Jesus. Original creation created through Christ and created good. Verse 17, that Christ is more than the force that preserves the orderly management of the cosmos. He is its purpose. Jesus sits at the purpose of all created things. The universe is not self-sufficient on its own. It needs Jesus in it. Verse 18, Paul tells us that Christ is the firstborn from among the dead. That's that, that crucifixion and the resurrection, right? He was the first to be resurrected. He is the start of this new creation, and he is supreme, the supreme one. He's at the center of our faith, the center of our lives, the center of our church. He is the one that we worship, and he is the head of the church. The church doesn't exist to meet its own needs. The church is a reflection of Christ in the world, ministering to everybody. He is the beginning He is the source of new life. John 14, 19, Jesus says, because I live, you also will live. See, the goal of resurrection is not merely to give individual believers a hope that they have after death. God is not satisfied to to just reconcile a few followers of him. The goal is that in everything, Jesus will be made supreme. Paul uses the word all seven times in these six verses. Jesus isn't content with just partial redemption. He wants to redeem it all. Everything. Everything we see around us. All creation. All things. Because Christ is the full embodiment of God himself. He's not partially God. He is fully God. And in the beginning... It finishes. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Again, this heaven and earth coming together because of what Jesus did on the cross. His blood, his death, allows this to be possible. And we'll speak more to how that's possible later. He reconciles all of it. So this hope question, we can have hope right now because our hope is for right now. See, this is why it was significant that Jesus was born on the first day of the week. The first day of the week because he is the start of new creation. Sunday is the beginning of new creation, right? Jesus' resurrection is seen as the beginning of the new world. The first day of the week, the unveiling of the prototype of what all creation will look like, what God will accomplish in us. So what are some of those ways new creation breaks into our world? 
What are some of the ways that God wants to redeem and restore? I think five areas of relationship. One, he wants to restore our relationship with God, this vertical relationship. He wants to restore our relationship with self, with others, with our systems, right? Our government, our culture. And he wants to restore creation, right? He wants to restore our relationship with God instead of legalism, instead of facades, instead of self-righteousness, all these old creation habits. He wants us to have an experience, new creation, worship, grace, acceptance, obedience. He wants to restore our relationship with ourselves instead of old creation dynamics of shame and hiding and isolation. He wants to bring acceptance, forgiveness, authenticity. He wants to restore a relationship with others. Instead of exclusion, pride, and jealousy, he wants to see new creation, like inclusion. He sat around the tables with sinners. He was accused of being a sinner because of it. Equality, humility, reconciliation. Now, how does this work, right? Like when we're born, we haven't learned how to hide from our sin. We haven't learned to, to run away. We don't know what that looks like. We begin to learn that, you know what, in order to be accepted, I have to pretend to be somebody else. That is old creation, friends. Jesus wants us to come out of the hiding. I was thinking about what does old and new creation look like in my sermons, right? Do I need instant feedback when I leave the stage that it was liked, right? Am I up here for my own glory? Am I up here trying to cover my own insecurities? Or can I walk in confidence knowing that I am trying to be faithful to what God has put on my heart. How open am I to feedback, right? Feedback can expose the difference between my private self and my public self, right? How important is my own agenda versus others, versus God's agenda? See, we can do old creation in church, friends, but it's not what God wants. He wants to redeem and restore every part of our life, in our families, in our church, in our home, in this world. All of it. All of it will be made new. And God invites us to be a part of that process now in the making of it renewed, in the redemption and restoration of all things. Jesus tells us that his kingdom is at hand. We can participate in it right now. He's not starting over with the new one. He's redeeming this one that we are in through the power of his Holy Spirit, step by step, through God's incredible love for us. He will restore it. When the world falls away, God does not give up on his world. God does not scrap the call that he has placed on humanity to bring his new creation. Rather, God says, I'm going to sort this out. 
and you all are plan A, and there is no plan B. He wants to restore it in a way that's in harmony with his original intentions, that we walk in new creation dynamics and not old creation. This is what our Messiah does, and we can join him in that work. He is the one who sorts it all out, and we get to partake. He plants new seeds of hope, tells us that the curse has been broken, winter is fading away, and spring is at hand, church. Let's pray. God, you are a great God. You are about redemption and restoration, God, and you are working with us in that process, doing that for ourselves, but also in this world. God, we can look around us and see that there are messes everywhere, even in our own lives, but that you are going to do a work and you are doing a work, God, to make beauty out of these ashes, God. And so we pray to be a part of that. Begin that work. Continue that work, I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. We're going to... um, worship team is going to lead a song, and and it's really a a time of reflection, however you want to be engaging this time, if it's in your seat, if it's standing. Um, But as they were rehearsing this morning, I I was inspired to create a space. We've done this in the past up front here. Um, For those that maybe want to come and kneel at the cross um, to pray to God, maybe that redemption and restoration, new creation seems very far away for you right now. Candles are great symbols of hope, of God's work and his faithfulness. And so there are candles up here you can light. Um, If you want to make use of this, do. Um, The band will continue to play as long as needed. If you want to stay in your seats in worship, if you want to stand, this is really your time to connect with God in community. Let's worship.